You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. Good morning, church family. Can we just give it up for the youth band one more time? Wasn't that great? Wow. You know, it's nerve-wracking for a dad to be, you know, leading or watching his daughter lead. But I thought even more than that, have we considered the courage it takes for, you know, a student, a youth group member to come stand before all of us on a Sunday morning and lead in such power into the presence of God? Um, it just reminds me of Jonah. Like, despite the, the fear that you may feel obeying the Lord and his call is, is what he wants from all of us. So maybe even in worship, that's an application for you this morning. What are you hesitant about? What are you nervous about? What are you afraid of that God says, I clearly am asking you to do it, but you're sitting there sitting thinking no, because I'm a, I'm a little nervous or I'm a little scared. Maybe these young men and these young women can be an inspiration even to you to obey the call of the Lord. Jonah chapter 2 will actually end chapter 1 this morning and launch into the all 10 verses of chapter 2, looking at Jonah pleading from the pit of despair this morning. As I was kind of rehearsing in my mind or thinking back through all of the sermons that we've looked at from this book, I was like, this is, this is a fantastic series, but it's been pretty convicting. Like, most of the application for me has been pretty hard-hitting, but spiritual growing. Just at that moment, like I said in that first sermon, that I want to start pointing my finger at Jonah because of his sin, suddenly God turns it on me and shows me my sin and Jonah's sin, and I think, oh, wait a second. That's God speaking to me. So as convicting as these last messages have been, I pray that today's message would also offer you encouragement because that relentless love that has been ruthless at times as it was pursuing and going after Jonah is finally going to catch Jonah this morning. It's, 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 a, it's in a pretty desperate, desperate spot at the, the low point maybe in Jonah's life, but it, but it catches him. It finds Jonah. Jonah surrenders to that love, and he calls out to the Lord, and the Lord answers him. Not only does the Lord answer him, but the Lord restores him and continues to use him. So maybe you showed up today, and you're thinking, you know what, I'm just, I'm just disobedient like Jonah, but, but maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I've been running from the Lord too long, and, and, and he's not going to restore me. Don't buy that for one second. I promise you, you're not as low as Jonah was in this story where you're sitting today. And if God can hear him and and hear his cry from the pit of despair, he can hear yours as well. If he can put Jonah, of all people, back on track and back on mission, he can put you back on track and you back on mission. There's hope today. We we pick up the story in chapter 2 after Jonah's, I would call it a long battle of disobedience. And last week, do you remember finally Instead of repenting, he says, you know, just kill me. God, just kill me. Throw me overboard and the sea will be calm for you. And it's, it's in Jonah's sinking to the bottom of his sin and to the bottom of the ocean that we hear from Jonah chapter 1. Do you stand with me as we start in verse 17 and continue to the end of chapter 2? So here it is, Jonah in the water, raging seas, hurricane gale force winds. He's drowning. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. That should sound like someone else familiar to you named Jesus. 2 verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord. This is good new church. And he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows, these are the waves, they passed over me. So I said, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars were around me, or your translation may say, behind me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. Jonah was living that. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. This is God's word. Please be seated. Church, I pray that we would see together this morning that salvation comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. And therefore him. And therefore, we together can call on him wherever we're at today, and he will answer and put us right back on that path that he always created us to be upon. Now, if we're going to call on the name of the Lord in despair, we must first believe the Lord, and we must first trust the Lord. So what I want to do is is maybe build some trust between you and the Lord. It's probably already there, but If it's not, I pray that God would establish it. And maybe if it is, that God would grow that trust in him to another level by how we look at his sovereignty over creation. Look at the the end cap verses or the the verses that begin this passage and end this passage. Look at 117 and 2.10. Do you not see, not just in these verses, but throughout the whole story, God's sovereignty over creation? That it was God that sent the storm. It was God that appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. And here we find out in verse 10, it's God that had the fish spit him back on dry land. It's a simple point, but it's powerful for me. And here it is, that we can trust the Lord because he is sovereign over creation. This is something that you don't have the power of. Controlling creation is something that you and I cannot do. I wish I could sometimes when I'm out there fishing, right? And I'm just begging for a bite. I wish I could say fish bite. And there it was, but it didn't happen like that. I don't have that kind of power. Only God does. And we don't just see it with the fish swallowing and vomiting Jonah. We see it throughout the story. We've already seen how God is sovereign over all of the natural realm, both in the waters that were stirring and the storm that was a coming. And he used that to wake up Jonah from his apathetic slumber. Later in the story, we're going to see God's sovereignty over creation when he raises up a plant to shade Jonah, when he sends the worm to destroy the plant, and when he sends the scorching, scorching winds, all for the edification of Jonah. But here in this story, we, we finally get Jonah swallowed by the fish. It was God that sent the fish, and it was God that protected Jonah. God is sovereign 
over his creation. It's at this point, though, when we think about the fish that I think a lot of ink has been wasted and a lot of oxygen has been stolen, if you will, because many Sunday school classes and many theologians, we, we spend all of this time wondering what kind of fish it was. Like, was it a big bass? I don't know. Was it Arapaima, like the one I have in the video? I don't know. Was it a whale? Here's the deal. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Don't get distracted by what kind of whale or fish or leviathan or sea monster it was. Here's the point. God controlled it. God was in charge of it. Just like he is over all of creation. And this should cause us to stop. To bask in his glory. To see his power. And because he's over creation, it should cause us to trust him all the more. I was reminded this week of Job. Job 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42. Every single one of those chapters at the end of Job is is showing God's sovereignty or his providence over creation. Why? Because he needed to get Job's attention. If you want to feel sorry for somebody in the Bible, feel sorry for Job. I mean, he had a pretty hard go of it, didn't he? Unlike Jonah, we don't see a lot of sin in Job's life, but we see a lot of pain. I mean, almost everything was taken from Job, and he was left with what he felt like was nothing. And after a pretty hard conversation with his, let's call them not-so-stellar friends, Job starts to question God. Like, why would you do this to me? How can this happen to me? He may even started to question the goodness of God. So what does God do? And these chapters at the end of Job... He shows how he is sovereign over creation. He asked Job questions like, wait a second, Job. Sit sit down. In fact, he says, Job, gird up your loins. I got some questions for you. Are you the one that created the foundations of the earth? Maybe you could ask yourself that question this morning if you're doubting God today. Wait a second, Job. Are you the one that told the sea to to come this far but no further? Did, Did you do that? Anybody in here do that? God asked Job, oh, wait a second, are are you the one that created creation and cares for creation? Do you tell the sun to rise? Or now that we know with science, do you tell the earth to spin on its axis? Can, Can you do that, Job? Job, at the end of just a long explanation of God's sovereignty over creation, the Bible tells us he just holds his hand over his mouth. He's got no answer other than, uh, no. But God goes on. Because it's necessary for us to see his power and providence over all things in our life so that we entrust him. So he goes on to say, did you, Job, create the behemoth? I don't know what it is. Don't ask me. It's a giant land animal, okay? Then he says, Job, did you create the Leviathan? I don't know what it is either. A swimming dragon is what it sounds like. He's like, no, you can't even put a hook in its mouth or a spear in its body, yet I play with the Leviathan, right? Like we would play with the puppy. And finally, Job, at the end of seeing God's sovereignty over creation, He says, I'm sorry. I retract my doubt and I repent of my unbelief. Jonah finally succumbs to the same reality that he can't run from the creator God. If he gets on a boat, God's going to send a storm. If he gets on the land, God will send an earthquake. There is nowhere Job can run that God is not sovereign over. So Jonah finally, just like Job, finally retracts his disobedience, repents, God hears his cry and restores him. So what about you today? 
I'm going to look at the prayer deeper. I want to get into the prayer too. We get to see Jonah's prayer. We get to hear his desperate plea to God. But before we get into that, maybe you could just take a second this morning and think about the items of creation that are in your everyday life. Things like the sun that rose this morning that you may have overlooked. The sunset that we get in this part of Texas that is as grand as any picture I've ever seen. The rain that comes, the rain that doesn't come that we desperately need. The storms that rage, the tornadoes that rip houses apart. Even the sea storms, the hurricanes. All of that. And ask yourself this question. If God can create and control and guide his creation, can he not guide and control and direct your life today? The answer is obviously yes. So I pray that maybe just for a moment, you looking at creation would allow God's trust to be built back in your heart on a deeper level. That even the simple things of life would show you that God is there for you. And if you can control those things, he can be there for you as well. It's that simple. I pray that you would get what Job did. And now that we maybe together, can we just kind of walk together, trust in the Lord? Now that we trust him, now we can know that he hears our cries of desperation. Let's continue to look at Jonah's prayer that we can trust the Lord like Jonah because he answers all calls of desperation. Now, there's a lot that we have to go over here. So I want you to understand that this is not a play-by-play, minute-by-minute account of what's going on in the belly of the fish. This is a probably afterwards recount of what was going on in Jonah's heart. He adds some psalms to it. Whether he had them memorized then or not, I don't know. He, he gives it some structure, but don't look for the structure to be like chronological in its order. It's more like a psalm or a proverb. See, the author here is a lot less concerned with you understanding the science of how a fish can swallow a man and he survive without digestion for three days. He's a lot more concerned that you you see the heart of Jonah, that you see the desperation of Jonah, so that like Jonah, in that moment of desperation, you're not afraid to come to him, seeing that he'll answer you no matter how far you have fallen. Well, how far had Jonah fallen? I think for, for most of us, it would seem like beyond the point of recovery, but it wasn't too late for God. What's recorded in these 10 verses in chapter 2 is what happened from the time that he hit the water until God spits him back out on dry land. It seems to me, as I'm walking through this prayer, that Jonah had what I would consider a near-death experience in his disobedience to God. Could I be a little bit more bold today, if you would trust me just for a few minutes? It could have been an actual death experience because he remained in disobedience to God. Now, that scares us a little bit, doesn't it? That makes you a little bit uncomfortable. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. Why? Because you're thinking, could that happen to me? That's why you're scared to think that. Not that it couldn't have happened. It very likely could have happened. I mean, if God already sent a supernatural fish that his body was preserved somehow after three days being in the belly of it, I don't even know how that happens. It's supernatural. If God sent a supernatural storm, he, he could surely allow Jonah to die and raise him from the dead. Does not God have the power over life and death? Yeah, he does. And it's throughout the scriptures we see it. Look at Elijah. God used Elijah to raise that young boy from the dead. God allowed Elijah to enter somehow from this Roman to the next without even dying. What? What about Jesus in the New Testament? God in the flesh. He said, Lazarus, I know you're in the grave, but get up and come back out. Poor Lazarus, right? He's 
He's on his way to heaven, maybe already in the presence of God, and he gets called out of heaven to live this life again to only die another time. Don't, don't envy Lazarus. What about Jesus? Rose from the dead. It's called that dead girl to life. It absolutely could have happened that Jonah could have died. Either way, whether he died or not, that's not the point. The point is God pursued Jonah further than Jonah could go. God pursued Jonah unto the point of death, and he will pursue you and me. The important point is that God never gave up on him. It seems like Jonah had done everything to discount God and to run from him, even saying, take my life. God never stopped pursuing him. See, it was when Jonah was at his worst that God was there. Not when Jonah was at his best. We think that we have to be at our best for God to be with us. No, God is always with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It was when Jonah was at his worst, wanting to die instead of obey, that God did not leave his side. That God's relentless love still pursued him. For Jonah's obedience, and can I also tell you today, for Jonah's joy. We can read the story and we think, oh, God pursued him and his relentless love wanted obedience. Yes, God wanted obedience, but it was really God pursuing Jonah's greatest joy because here's what God knows, something that we forget. God knows that your greatest joy comes from faithfulness to him, not pursuing your own selfish desires. And God pursued him to this point and he got it right at the brink of death. The evidence for Jonah almost dying, I think, is ample. Look at verse 2. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord. Why is he distressed? Because he's drowning. <laughs> you're going to be pretty worried about the situation too if you're drowning. How do I, how, he said, Why, how do you know he's drowning? Just read the text. He says, I cried out for help from the depth of Sheol. You know where Sheol is? It's just the place of the dead. It can be a physical representation of the place of the dead, or it can be like a, a spiritual darkness or abyss. I think Jonah was in both situations. He was spiraling out of control in the darkness of his sin, but he saw that darkness and sin manifest physically, and he describes the physical danger that he was in. Look at verse 3. He said, God, you cast me into the deep where the current of the ocean was dragging me under, and the waves of the ocean, they were crashing over me. Have you ever felt the power of a wave? You ever been out to the ocean? Maybe it's Padre Island. Maybe it's Galveston. And you, and you do that brave thing. You get out past that first sandbar. Swim a little further. You can still kind of touch. And then you get out to like that second or third sandbar. And then all of a sudden, the waves are still crashing. But you can't touch anymore. That's scary for me. Because the wave hits me. I go under. And right about that time, I'm going to come back up for breath. Because the current is pulling me down. I come up just in time for what to happen. Another wave to hit me. And I get a little scared. And those are only five or six foot waves. Do you know how big the waves can get in a hurricane that Jonah had himself hurled into? 90 feet and taller. You tell me what's happening to Jonah. He's getting crushed. He's drowning. He's in fear. He goes on in verse 5. I think the Bible goes into it because it wants us to discuss it. So let's continue the journey together. He's surrounded by water, he says, to the point of death. Not only did the deep engulf him, he says, but then even seaweeds are wrapped around his head. So this is Jonah's situation. Sinking, the current pulling him under, waves crashing over his head, having a hard time breathing because he's not a fish, and then now seaweeds wrapped around his face. 
Verse 6, he still continues, I went down to the base of the mountains. In other words, as far as I could go, the, the bars of the earth were behind me or around me forever. Church Jonah was dying. And yes, God pursued him that far. Here's your question. Pastor, could or would God take me this far if I remain in disobedience to him? Absolutely he would. I mean, he allowed most of Israel to die in the desert because of the disobedience of them. Why couldn't he do the same with you and even for you? Church, God will pursue you. And if you're listening to this message today in person or online, it's not will God or could God pursue you. He's pursuing you right now. The question is, how far will he have to take you so you listen? How deep will you have to sink before you say, yes, Lord? His love is relentless, but at times, can I just tell you, it can be ruthless. Not because he hates you, but because he loves you enough to not let you remain in your sin. Even Jesus connects the story of Jonah to death. Not just any death. Jesus connects the story of Jonah to his own death. You remember last week we looked at Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. The scribes and the Pharisees, they gather around him and they ask Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered them, you're an evil and adulterous generation that craves a sign. And so no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Like, what was the sign of Jonah the prophet? We tells you, Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But it isn't just stop with the belly of the fish. He goes on in verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at judgment and will condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What Jesus is saying is that they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but you will not be repentant at the preaching of the Son of Man. Jesus is wanting the Pharisees to see that he was going to die and rise from the dead. He says, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, how was Jesus in the heart of the earth? Was he alive, just kind of holding his breath? No, he was dead. And three days later, he rose in victory. Maybe even Jesus thought Jonah died. I don't know. But the point that we miss sometimes is this point of repentance. The sign of Jonah is Jesus. The sign of Jonah is Jesus and his death and resurrection and the unrepentance of those who will not believe in him. The Pharisees rejected this sign. Jesus is saying the Ninevites, at least they listened to the preaching and turned from their sin. But basically the Pharisees, you saw me die. You will see me rise from the dead. And yet you do not repent and believe. I pray that you would take the sign of Jonah and you wouldn't miss it today. Jesus did live a perfect life. He did die a perfect death, praying a price that you could never afford. He was your substitute on the cross. He was buried in the heart of the earth, dead for three days. He did rise from the dead. And if you would repent like the Ninevites and believe in Christ, you would be saved not just on this earth, you'd be saved for all of eternity. It was in Jonah's despair that God answered his prayer. 
Are you desperate enough to call on the Lord today? That's that's a great question. And how desperate will you have to be before you answer? However desperate it is and however far you go, God will answer you the moment you call out to him. I think sometimes we buy the lie and think, well, I've just done too much wrong. I've gone too far. I've been too bad. No, no, you're not going to go further than Jonah did. I had this, this example of this in my life. My step-grandfather was very unrepentant in his earthly life for most of it. He was a hard man. He had a tough childhood. You can understand that. He, he had a pretty rough time in the Navy. Lots of things that he's seen, and lots of things that he did. It hardened him. And by the time I got to know him, he was just kind of a, a, a grumpy old man. <laughs> just kind of mean and kind of honorary. I mean, he's the guy that first taught me how to flip the bird to somebody. Thanks for that. Yeah, he, he told me that that's what it meant to say Merry Christmas. Yeah, don't worry, I won't be giving you the sign of Merry Christmas from him. He was pretty hardened and, and, and had been running from the Lord most of his life, but God pursued him through his wife. Every year, despite his hardened heart, she stayed with him. My sweet, sweet step-grandma. Her name was Rebecca. Every year she'd pray for him, ask him to relent and repent. And he held on until those last few weeks of his life. And he was dying. And it was on his deathbed, at the moment of desperation, that he called on the Lord. And in that moment, God answered his call of desperation, saved his soul, and he's in heaven today because he did. He, was, he, he sunk pretty low in church. I mean, he was at a point in his life where he disowned a family member because she had a biracial child. He wouldn't watch sports on TV, not because he didn't agree with them, but because he couldn't stand it looking with his racist heart at the players. That's pretty dark. But at the moment he called, God answered. Jonah, he's pretty deep in sin. I mean, he's as far in sin as you can go. But at the moment he repented, God took the discipline no further. God didn't enjoy watching him hurt. God didn't enjoy watching him drown. God didn't want him to die. Jonah was bringing this upon himself. But the moment Jonah relented of his disobedience and repented from his sin, God says, I will take it not one centimeter further. How far will you let it go? If it's a desperate call, he will answer it. If you're not a believer here today, I don't know how long you have to answer the call. Can I just shoot it to you straight? And it's not very often that God resurrects people from the dead so you can hear him again. That's not going to happen. Eventually, all that will be left for you is not another chance. It'll only be judgment then it will be too late. But right now, it's not too late because you're still listening. For the believer, you can avoid a lot of the stuff that Jonah went through if you just say yes to the Lord now. You can avoid the storms and the raging seas and the deep waters. Just say yes today. Not only do we see that God answers the call of desperation, but also we see, praise the Lord, that God restores the repentant heart. He still used Jonah. Once Jonah repented, he restored him to the original plan that God had for him. 
Look at the process of restoration quickly in verse 4. He says, yes, I've been expelled from your sight, but nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. This shows me that Jonah accepted his sinfulness before God. And for the first time in the story, he starts to change his trajectory from disobedience to faithfulness. He was spiraling out of control in sin because he would not do the work of God in his life. But God hears his plea from the pit of desperation and in his mercy brings Jonah back to the restored position that he should have always had and puts him back on mission. In verse 7, we start to see life breathe back into Jonah's lungs and he remembers the call of God. He acknowledges the fact that God heard his prayer and he starts to obey to have a desire to obey. And then look at verse 8. It seems out of place. He even speaks against those who worship vain idols. You're like, okay, why is verse 8 in there? He's in the middle of this prayer of desperation. He's starting to repent. Why is he mad at the people who worship idols? You think, why is he turning his attention to other people when it's been so self-focused so far? He's not. He says these people that worship idols, they, they have forfeited their faithfulness. He's living that. Jonah's talking about himself, I believe here. Yes, nobody should worship false idols, but he was worshiping the false idol of himself. God is trying to show him that and did show him that. Jonah sees it and he realized that he was forfeiting his faithfulness because he was worshiping the idol of self. This week, I thought to myself, what kind of person would worship a piece of wood? I mean, who would worship a metal object? That doesn't even make sense to me. You're probably sitting there saying, amen, it would do such a nonsensical thing. But then God puts the mirror in front of my safe and in front of my face and says, this is you. You do worship false idols and the idol you worship is you. And it's forfeiting the faithfulness that you could be living for me. Maybe someone out there this morning is forfeiting the faithfulness that they could be serving the Lord with because they're worshiping the idol of self. It's worthy to repent of that. He goes on to talk about his restored position before the Lord. Look at verse 9. This is my favorite part of his prayer. I will sacrifice to you, meaning I will serve you again with the voice of thanksgiving. We haven't seen gratitude in Jonah's heart at all at this point in the story, but he goes on. He goes, that which I have vowed, I will pay for salvation is from the Lord. He remembers that vow that he first gave to the Lord when he surrendered to be a prophet of the eternal king of the universe. And he says, I remember that vow and I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to start doing my part. And he did. Why? Because salvation is from the Lord. Suddenly at that moment when he gets it, he spit from the belly of the fish back on the dry land and he starts the mission that he should have done long ago. Talk about relentless, huh? He got off track for a little while. Look at a little detour with a hurricane, a ship, and, right, a, and a fish. But eventually, God put him back where he always knew he would be. Isn't that amazing? No matter what Jonah did, he, he couldn't get away from the call of God. It reminds me not only of my own life, but sometimes my children when they were little, when you ask them, your children probably never did this, and they didn't do this very often. But you ask them, okay, go clean your room or do this chore. And then the tears come just because they don't want to clean the room. And then, and then the tantrum comes and they throw a fit. And now they become disobedient. So then now you have to counsel and now you have to correct. And you may even have to you know, bring a spanking in there. And after all the battle's over and the dust settles, guess what they're still going to do? 
hope so. They're still going to clean the room. <laughs> That's what's going on with Jonah. I mean, the, the tantrum, the no, the sea, the storm, the fish. He's still in Nineveh. What's God calling you today? Don't let it take a tantrum, a storm, all these other distractions. If God wants you to do it, it's going to be done. Might as well say yes, Lord, and do it now. Maybe you're hearing this message today and you're more of a, a critic. You're not a follower of Christ. I pray from the story of Jonah, you would see how desperately God wants to save your soul. That you would be reminded of the words of Christ, that the sign of Jonah would be a sign for you today. That Jesus did die and he was buried in the belly or the heart of the earth for three days and he did rise from the dead in victory. And if you would just turn from your sin and believe in him, like the Ninevites, you would be saved today. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. Call on the name of the Lord today, and he'll restore you and put you back on the mission you should have always been on, or he will save your soul. As we consider these things, let's bow and pray together as the band comes back up. Lord, We thank you for your word and your pursuit of Jonah and your relentless love for him. It's so encouraging because it reminds me that your relentless love will also pursue me. And Lord, it doesn't have to take the pain that comes from the pursuit. We all can agree together just to say yes today, wherever we're at. And, and whatever the call is, we can just say yes and miss all the other stuff. God, for some, it may be a call unto salvation through repentance and faith and God. You're the one that does that. Your gospel is clear. I pray that the one who needs that would receive it today. That Holy Spirit, you would do your work of conviction and they would not be able to get out from underneath it until they give into it. And God, for probably for the most of the other people that are listening as believers online or in person, it's some other call in our life that we're wrestling with. Something else that you're asking us to do that we're refusing to do. Oh God, help us to just say yes, Lord to that. God, maybe it was just an opportunity for you to restore in us our trust in you. Because you are sovereign over creation, you can be sovereign over our lives. And God, I pray that we would just trust you more today. Do your work. In the name of Jesus Christ, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.